Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. If you recall last week, uh, we finished off talking about how Jesus is better than Moses and Joshua because he gives us true rest. They gave us partial rest when they went into the promised land. Jesus, he gives full rest. And he's going to explain that in Hebrews chapter. I mean, this book is one of my favorite books. I absolutely love it. So we're going to pick up uh, right after that, after he talks about us having secure rest in Jesus. Today, if you're restless, you can have rest in him. Amen. Okay, go to chapter 4. Go down to verse 14. We'll pick it up right after that. If you're there, can you say amen? Amen. We're going to put it up on the screens. If you don't have a Bible, you can share with the person next to you. The word of the Lord says this in Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, somebody say with confidence. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He continues in chapter 5, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal, it says, with the wayward, and he can deal since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. In other words, priests were sinful, so they had to offer sacrifices for themselves. Verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 3. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for the people. Verse 4. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but he was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I've begotten you. And he also says to him in another place, You are a priest forever. Somebody say forever. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Awesome. Let's take a pause right there. And we're going to continue to talk about chapters 6 through 7 as we start this conversation today. Today is the third part of our series. Now, we're getting into a very interesting part in the book of Hebrews. In fact, this whole section that he begins today is going to be the end of chapter 4 all the way to chapter 10. Next week, we'll talk about chapters 8 through 10. But it's a very important part that I think we have to understand. It's literally what what the whole book hinges on. Today, if you're taking notes, I've titled this message, Jesus, the better priest. Jesus, the better priest. Come on, say that with me. Jesus, the better priest. Let's let's continue this conversation on on what he's talking about. Let's try to understand. I think if we lean in, open up our heart, take some notes, God's gonna speak to our hearts so that we see him better today. Amen? Come on, let's pray 1 p.m. And then we'll start talking about Jesus, our better priest. Father, we thank you. We love you. Thank you for your grace, your love. Thank you for every service we had, every person who's been here and connected. What a day it's been. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your grace, your love, your mercy, healing that has happened today, healing that's happening right now. I believe it, God. Thank you for opening up eyes, healing souls, drawing us closer to you. We love you, God. Thank you that in you, everything is better. We love you. And we thank you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray that all of God's people say. Oh, come on. All of God's people say. Can you make some noise for Jesus one more time? Come on, 1 p.m. You might have heard, but a, a new iPhone came out this week. A new iPhone came out this week. It's the iPhone 14. And some of you possibly already have it. You own it, ordered it. It's on the way. Uh, I was talking about this with a friend this past week. And we were talking about how much the iPhone has advanced. And we were reminiscing on when some of us used to own iPhone 3, 4s, 5, and 6s. Does anybody remember those old iPhones? And uh, those iPhones didn't have the quality that these new iPhones have. They didn't have the space that some of these new iPhones had. In fact, we we were talking about how with old iPhones, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but there came a moment where you wanted to take a picture 
But all of a sudden, you got this message that said, storage full. Storage full. And so what would we have to do back then? It seemed like so long ago. But we would have to go into our pictures, delete some of the pictures. You're like, I don't like this person, this person, this person. I don't need You delete some of those pictures, and it would open up space for you to take a few more pictures. Now, that was temporary because sooner or later, it'll be full again. And uh, you'll have to go back into your album, delete, to take some new memories. And this was an ongoing process until they started increasing the capacity of these phones. Um, I, I personally have on my phone 60,000 pictures. I really do. I really do. I take pictures of everything. I absolutely love photography. I'm a frustrated photographer. I wish I would have been a photographer. Um, now with these new iPhones, I, like you have all the storage in the world on these small devices. We used to have temporary solutions, but now we have the better and the more in these new phones. As I think about our phones and as I think about the advancement of technology, it reminded me, if we have in Jesus, if we truly comprehend that we possess the better and the more in Jesus, because this world is full of lesser options, inferior options to Jesus. And if you're not careful, the lesser and inferior will only bring temporary satisfaction, whereas Jesus will permanently satisfy the soul of human beings. Everything in this world will bring temporary satisfaction, whether it's jobs, relationships, vices, all the pleasures in this world can only satisfy the soul temporarily. And you and I, we can run to all of these things, but sooner or later, we'll realize that the hope, joy, peace that any of these things bring will not last. And so we got a problem on our hands. The problem with temporary solutions is that they create permanent problems. I'm always going to have a problem because this salary does not satisfy my soul. This relationship, this one night stand, this vice, the bottom of a bottle, whatever it is that I'm chasing to bring me some hope, some peace, some joy will not last. And so like an iPhone full of storage, you got to go back and delete and try to fill yourself once again. It's like putting a Band-Aid when you need surgery. It will not last. And so many of us in our world today, we're putting band-aids where Jesus wants to come heal, restore, fill, satisfy, and bring peace. Lasting peace. And so we got a permanent problem in our hands because human beings, we're trying to find what can satisfy the soul. And what we need to realize, like these Jewish Christians realize, is that Jesus is the better and the more. He's the ultimate thing for the soul. And so if you have the lesser and the inferior, oh, you're always going to be chasing things. That's why our world is unstable, because we're running after every kind of option. Well, this didn't do it. Perhaps this other thing will do it. Well, this didn't bring no stability in my life, because everything hinges on hope. Well, maybe this can bring some kind of eternal satisfaction. And this is where I'll find ultimate blessing in life. But all these things that are temporary cannot bring the hope that only Jesus can bring. And when you realize that only Jesus can bring true hope, then your life will be satisfied. Then your life will be stable. Then you'll be still. And you'll know that no matter what happens in this world, I have a hope that goes into eternity. Come on, his name is Jesus. He's the first and the last. He is the Alpha and Omega. And so I have hope for my soul. I put it this way today. You can have a steady life when we have a sure hope. I have a sure hope in Jesus so I, it doesn't matter what happens on this side. It doesn't matter if I lose my job or I have anything coming against my body or my mind. I have a sure hope in Jesus that goes beyond the veil into the heavens that gives me stability. And so the winds and the waves and the problems, the vicissitudes of life, they'll hit my soul, but I got an anchor for my soul. And he's better and he offers more than what this world can offer. Are you following me, church? Oh, I, I don't always have to go chasing more solutions because I got the permanent one in Jesus. This is what's happening in this third part of Hebrews. He's going to now continue his argument that Jesus is better. Somebody say Jesus is better. Jesus. 
The whole book of Hebrews is all about better. Literally, it's all about better. He, he says better, I think, 13 times all throughout the book. It's better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's talking to believers who used to be Jewish, who were following Judaism, but have left that to follow Jesus. When they follow Jesus, they've been criticized and ostracized to go back. One of the things that they were saying is, well, we got angels, and we got prophets, we got Moses, we got Joshua, and we have priests. Put yourself in their shoes. So basically, one of the things that they were saying was like, oh, well, well I, who are you following, and who do you talk to? Because we have priests in our synagogues, and we go to them when we've committed sins, and they can sacrifice an animal for us, and you don't have a priest. And so the third section of this letter, better yet, it's a sermon literally written out the third section of this sermon, he's going to start to say, oh, not only do we have a priest, he's the better priest. Oh, and he can do more than what earthly priests could ever do. That's where we're picking it up. Are you following me? And he's going to go talking about priests from the end of chapter 4 all the way to chapter 10. We're going to study this in two weeks. How does it begin? Let's read it one more time. Now that we understand a little bit about what's happening. Chapter 4, verses 14 and on. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, his name is the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Look at this. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, Jewish people were sitting on this side and they were saying, you don't have a priest. Who do you talk to? Who do you sacrifice to? We have a synagogue. We have ghosts, bulls, and sheep that are slaughtered to priests that pray for us. Who do you have? And the author saying, oh, not only do we have a priest, we have a high priest, and we can approach him with confidence because he's full of grace. The first application as we go into this third part, number one, Jesus is our representative. Jesus, somebody say representative. Jesus is, he's trying to tell them, not only do we have a priest, you have to understand who this priest is because he is absolutely, infinitely better and more than the earthly priest that you're running to. And he's going to go into explaining this. He's going to say, oh, we don't have a high priest that's unable to sympathize with us. He's saying this Jesus, he understands our pain. He understands our discouragement. He understands what we've been through. And then he's going to move on to beginning of chapter 5 on why Jesus is a better priest. He's going to talk about the qualifications of a priest. A priest needed to meet certain qualifications. And he's going to say, Jesus not only meets them, he surpasses them. Come on, you need to understand this because this is good for the soul. This is going to strengthen your faith. And when you and I understand this, we can approach Jesus with confidence. Because he's infinitely better and more than all the world has to offer. He's going to say, this high priest, woo Oh, he leaves all the other priests behind. He's awesome. Look at chapter 5, what we just read, verses 5 through 6. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but he was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What is going on here? Well, he says, well, priests, uh, they had to be appointed by God. God appointed Aaron. You, let me break this down so we understand what's going on. Aaron comes from the family tree of Levi. Somebody say Levi. Levi. All the priests had to come from the Levi tribe. Aaron is a descendant of Levi. So when Moses comes down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, he looks at Aaron and he says, you're a Levite, so you're going to be the first high priest appointed by God through, through Moses. So what he's saying is here, well, if God appointed Aaron, Jesus was appointed by the Father. And the father says, you are my only son that I've begotten, and you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, remember that. He mentions him here for the first time. In other words, if Aaron was appointed by God, how much more Jesus who's been appointed by God? And he doesn't follow Levites. He doesn't follow the family tree of Levites. He follows the order of another guy named Melchizedek. Who the heck is Melchizedek? We'll talk about that in a moment. Jesus is our representative. You can trust this Jesus. You can go to him because God appointed him. And look what he continues saying, verses 7 through 10. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and 
tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He, oh, there he goes, Melchizedek, the second time he mentions him. Who is this mysterious Mel that he keeps mentioning, right? We'll talk about him in just a moment. He says, when Jesus was in his flesh, he cried real tears. Jesus really suffered in his body. And so if high priests are able to understand you, how much more our high priest, Jesus, who when he was in his flesh, he was tempted, he cried, he was under pressure, he was in the garden of Gethsemane, and he says, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but not my will be done, but your will be done. He's saying this high priest, he understands pain, he understands hurt, he understands betrayal, he understands the dark night of the soul. You can run to him, I can run to him with my pain, with my brokenness, because he's been there, done that, and came out victorious. That's the high priest that we have. He's my representative in heaven. And that's why I come with confidence before him because he's been there, done that, checked it off, and survived. Woo! Come on, this is Jesus. Infinitely better than the priest you're going to. In fact, in chapter 5, right at the beginning, he says, your priests, guess what? They were men. And you know what men do? Sin. Surprise. And so he says, when you went up to priests and you said, can you sacrifice on my behalf for my sins? They would have to say, give me a second because I also had a bad week. I need to sacrifice for myself first. And he's saying, guess what? Jesus, though he was tempted, he did not sin. We're talking about an infinitely better, more quality, more quantity in the better priest that we have Jesus. He was sinless. He was tempted, yet he defeated death and sin. And he's at the right hand of the Father. That's my representative in heaven, the high priest named Jesus. Are you following along with what he's saying? He's saying, oh, you're talking about your priest. We have a better priest named Jesus. Now, he's mentioned Melchizedek twice, and he's going to go on to explain Melchizedek. Before he does, look what he says. He goes, I want, I want to explain. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Okay, we, we talked about how Jesus is our representative. He's infinitely much better, and he comes after the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you're like me, we're scratching our head, and we're like, I don't, who's Melchizedek? I don't know who this guy is. Well, about the, Jesus. <laughs> Melchizedek? <laughs> Okay, about this, about Melchizedek, follow along. Listen to what he said. This part of the Bible is awesome. About this, we have much to say. I want to tell you about Melchizedek, basically he's saying. I'm, I'm going to write about Melchizedek. I want you to understand, but it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. I told you the book of Hebrews has five warnings for them, ultimately for us as well. This is the third warning. In week one, we talked about his first warning that he says, stop drifting. Don't drift away from Jesus. Last week, we, he said, don't, don't, don't let unbelief get in your heart. That was number two. Number, number three, he says, don't become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing literally means to become ignorant. And that doesn't mean that you don't have knowledge. You could be ignorant by saying, oh, I didn't know. Literally in the Greek, it means you have the knowledge, but you do not practice. Woo! I do not want you to become, I mean, since you become dull of hearing, for though by this time, you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. What is he saying here? I want to tell you about Melchizedek, but you're babies. Listen to me what he's saying. <laughs> You're immature. You're drinking milk. I want to move on to solid food. But some of you, you're so immature in your faith is what he's writing to his church. This is a stern warning. You become dull in your hearing. You're ignorant. You don't want to listen to what Jesus has taught and what he's done. So you become babies only drinking milk. He's like, you bunch of babies. <laughs> what you want 
is lechita. <laughs> you want your lechita? You want to you just chill there and talk about milk? When I'm trying to give you solid food, you want to move on to the deeper things? Oh, I'll tell you about Jesus. He is the deepest thing that you could ever understand, ever comprehend. But you're still stuck here. And what it means, literally, when he says, leave the elementary behind, is literally in the Greek, leave the ABCs or the one, two, threes. What's numbered in the Bible? Well, the Ten Commandments are numbered. One through ten. Not only that, Jewish people had 613 laws they had to follow. He's saying, leave that behind. That's, those are the elementary teachings of Christ. What does that mean? That everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. And they're still here discussing on washings, on repentance, on faith toward God, baptisms, eternal life, judgment. And he's saying those are, are basic elementary things about Jesus. He's saying, you're, you're talking about washing of the hands and washing of the body because this is what the law says. He goes, those are basic principles of Jesus, meaning that Jesus did what Moses couldn't do. The Mosaic law could purify you on the outside, but Jesus comes with a better covenant and he purifies you on the inside. Oh, you're discussing about the outside when Jesus has completed everything. And you're still discussing, what about eternal life? Like, oh, what about the laying on of hands? What he means by laying on of hands is when they went to sacrifice an animal to a priest, you would have to lay your hands so that your sins would get on the animal. And then the animal would be sacrificed. And they're still here discussing that. And he's like, listen, Jesus has been the ultimate. Why are you still going over elementary things? Already understand that Jesus took the sins of the world and he paid it once and for all. Leave the elementary behind. Leave the milk and move on to solid food. You know what he's literally saying? Leave the, the legalism behind. Leave the law. He's not saying forget about it. He's saying leave it behind and build upon that foundation. Literally in the Greek is graduate from that to more solid food. The foundation is the Old Testament. It all is about Jesus. Now build on that. Well, if the Ten Commandments pointed to Jesus, if the washings pointed to Jesus, if the baptisms and, and eternal life and repentance, all that pointed to Jesus, now build on Jesus. He's better than all that. But they were still here discussing on, well, what happened? This person should have come into the temple like that. Said who? In Jesus, we are complete. In Jesus, we are pure. In Jesus, we are made holy and righteous. He says, you're unskilled in the word of righteousness because you think righteousness comes from works. You are never made righteous from works. You're made righteous because of Jesus. But you're still over here talking about, can, can women wear makeup? Can, can we have tattoos or not? Uh, can this person come into worship this way? You're, you're in elementary. And it's time for you to go to high school. And Christians are still doing this today. Well, I don't know if they should come to church because I think I saw them with a tattoo. Baby. Literally, that's what he's saying. Baby, immature. Jesus completed all of that. Jesus is the walking Torah. Jesus is Genesis all the way to the beginning of the New Testament. The New Testament is Jesus as well. Jesus is the Word of God walking amongst us. And then he took death, he resurrected, and he's at the right hand of the Father. You need to mature in your faith. It's beautiful. He says, this is profound. But you can't understand it because you're still on baby baby milk now he says be careful verses uh, chapter 6 verses 4 through 8 for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift who have shared in the holy spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of god and the powers of the age to come that then have fallen away it's impossible to restore them but it, it it's impossible to restore them since they are crucifying once again the son of god to their own harm and holding them up to content for the land that has drunk the rain that often falls and it produces a crop useful to those who sake cultivated, it receives a blessing from God. But it bears, if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and in the end is to be burned. This is one of the most debated verses, passages of scripture ever. Some people are saying, well, basically he says in the book of Hebrews, you can lose your salvation. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you could lose your salvation, but it's not based on your behavior, it's based on your belief. In other words, if you follow Jesus and you understand that the Old Testament pointed to him, but at some point you start doubting that and you forget Jesus and you go back to your own works, you go back to the law and you say that Jesus is not the son of God, that's literally called apostasy and you just apostatize from the faith. And he says, in the end, if you're not careful, you're going to be burning. Oh, I thought God was love. He is. He's merciful. And his ways of being merciful are higher than our ways of being merciful. But he's saying, you don't want to fall away from faith. Move on to maturity. In other words, he's saying, don't stop believing and hold fast to the confession of faith. 
Now, those are some scary verses. And we could look at that and be like, oh my God, that's harsh. But look at the verses say, verses 9 through 12. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Basically, he's saying this isn't about you. You're still believing in Jesus. You're still confessing that he's the son of God. Keep going. We, we feel better things towards you, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown in his name, serving his saints, as you still do. And we desire that each one of you show the same earnestness to have the full assurance, to have the full assurance. Where am I? I got lost back there. Earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish. Somebody say sluggish. But imitators are those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Okay, he says, number one, Jesus is our representative. He's our high priest. He's awesome. He feels our pain. Now he's going to move on after he gave us a warning. Don't be dull of hearing. Don't stop your confession that Jesus is Lord. He's going to move on to say, number two, Jesus is our guarantee. Somebody say guarantee. He says, don't be sluggish. Another word in the Greek there is don't be lazy with your faith. Keep believing that Jesus is, every day you wake up, say Jesus is Lord. Jesus paid for my sin. I am the righteousness of God because of Jesus. Don't be sluggish or lazy in your faith. He goes and imitate those who practice perseverance in the faith. Now, right after he says this, he's going to go into a story of God and Abraham. All of us, we probably have heard of Abraham. If you don't know who Abraham is, all the way in Genesis, God called out Abraham from the land of Ur. We talked about this at the beginning of the year. And he called out Abraham and he says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you so many sons and daughters. I'm going to make a nation out of you. Now, Abraham had to wait a long time for that promise. And the entire time he waited, he persevered in the faith. Basically, he's saying, if you've been waiting for a blessing for three months, look at Abraham. How long did Abraham wait? Years. <laughs> he came up to Abraham and he says, I'm going to give you a son. He's like, I'm really old. And he goes, keep waiting. I'm going to give you a son. He's like, but I'm really old. And years go by. Abraham is 75 years old in Genesis chapter 15. And he goes up to God and he says, God promises one more time. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a nation. And he goes, God, but how? I'm old. And I don't know if you understand how biology works, but my body, I don't think can do it. And God's like, am I a man to lie? Am I a man to go back in my word? If I promise something, I'm going to do it. And so the writer, the writer of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is saying, oh, you've given up on your faith? Be like Abraham who never stopped believing. How long? If you got to wait 100 years, you wait 100 years. But God is not a man to lie. Some of us, I get it. We're in here watching online. We're like, 100 years? I don't know. That's a long time to wait. Persevere in the faith. How much do you believe what God has said? How much do we really believe? Some of us, if three months go by and God has not answered our prayer, we get frustrated and we throw in the towel in our faith. And he's saying, you're nothing like Abraham. You got to persevere in the faith like Abraham. And then he's going to go into what God did to Abraham to show that God will not lie. I'll try to explain this quickly, but you got to go back and do your research this week. I hope you're in your Bibles. But literally he says he gave Abraham a promise. And on top of a promise, because men lie. Right? We are all liars. So what do we do on top of promising? We swear. Right? Have you ever had somebody tell you, hey, I promise you I'll be there. Now nah, I don't think you're going to be there. I, pr I pinky promise. I swear on my grandma I'll be there. Right? We swear because a promise is no longer enough. And so what do we do? We swear on top of that. So God, in Genesis chapter 15, God tells Abraham, I promise you I'll bless you. But God, how? Don't you worry about the how. On top of the promise, I'm going to swear. And since I can't swear above me because there's nobody greater than me, I swear to me that I'm going to do it. Oh, God is bad. God's like, I swear by me, I'm the best. I swear by me. He swears by himself. And in fact, he says, what I'm telling you is so sure, I'm going to mark it in blood. And he does the first blood covenant in Genesis chapter 15. This is beautiful. He tells Abraham, go grab five animals. And he grabs five animals. Interesting because five is the number of grace. He grabs five animals and he goes, I want you to literally break them in half, sacrifice them. Break their bodies in half and lay them in a row parallel to each other. This is Genesis chapter 15. What is happening here? Well, this was ancient time ceremonies. When two kings would go to war and they both survived, the kings would meet in the middle. And they'll say, let's grab some animals, let's rip them in half, make sure the path is full of blood, and we're both going to walk on this path together. And what they would say is, let us both keep our word to each other. And if we break our word, let it happen to us as has happened to these animals. Meaning, if I break my word, I'm, I should die. 
And so God tells Abraham, I want you to rip the animals. What he's going to say is, if I break my word, I'm going to die. And Abraham should have walked with God. But if you go back and read chapter 15, it says that Abraham doesn't walk. He puts him in a deep sleep. And God swears to himself, if I don't keep my covenant, and even if you don't keep your covenant, let it be happened to me what's happened to these animals. In other words, this covenant is not dependent on Abraham's behavior or Abraham's life. It's dependent on my word, my promise, and my blood. I walk the line by myself. Genesis chapter 15 is extremely profound. It's literally the first blood covenant. And Abraham's like, whoa, I got a promise and a blood oath covenant from God that he's going to give me a child. And he does. In fact, he waits some more and and maybe you're like, well, how did Abraham wait? Well, he was, he was tempted, and he failed at times, but he kept on believing. In fact, one time he failed so bad, his wife Sarah's like, babe, I'm almost like 90 years old. I don't think we're going to have a baby. I got this servant. She's really young. I think you should sleep with her and have a baby with her, and that's going to be like our life. And Abraham's like, I like that idea. That's from God. That's from God. I'll sleep with her. And he does. And he sleeps with Hagar, and they have a baby called Ishmael. God's like, that's not the son of grace, because you tried to do it with your own works. Instead of waiting for me, you waited on your own. And some of us are dealing with Ishmael's in our life when God's like, I promised you, Isaac. Stop trying to figure it out on your own with your own works, following the law and your own hands when I promised you that I would do something in your life if you persevered with faith. And he gave him Isaac. Years later, 99 years old, they have Isaac. How? God said it. He said it, and then he promised it with a blood oath. I'm not a man to lie. I'm not going to go back on my word. And Abraham and Sarah have a baby. They're old as dirt and they have baby. Because God can do the impossible. If he says it, he'll do it. Now, Abraham stumbled. Abraham one time lied about his wife. He said it was his sister, so the Egyptians would get mad. Abraham slept with Hagar. But every time he stumbled, he got up and he kept on believing. But because he didn't keep his side of the covenant, he should have died. But because he didn't walk the line, who died? He said, God promised it with a promise and with an oath. And since Abraham didn't keep his side of the covenant, Abraham, you don't have to die. I gave my word. I walked the line alone, so I gave my son. And Jesus comes and he grabs the bread at the end of his life and he rips it apart. He goes, this is my body. And just like the birds were broken, just like the animals were broken with Abraham, I will be broken for you so that you can be made whole. I give you a promise and I give you a blood covenant. This is the covenant of Jesus. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Hebrews chapter 6 is so profound. It's Jesus literally saying, I'm the promise. I'm the guarantee. In chapter 7, he literally says he's the guarantor of the promise of God. You and I, when our behavior gets in the way, when we mess up, when we stumble, when we're discouraged, when we start doubting, look to Jesus. God kept his word. His son was killed so that you and I, in spite of our behavior, we have a guarantee in heaven that assures us no matter what happens in this life, I will be in heaven with Jesus forever because he gave his life. He swore by himself and he paid it in blood. I got a pinky promise from God. His name is Jesus. He swore it on his son. He gave his son to die for my sins so that I can know forever and ever I got security in him. Come on, that's the ultimate oath. That's the ultimate blood covenant Jesus saying I'll die so you can live this is beautiful come on church this is the mature stop drinking milk on who or when or why and look to Jesus that's not elementary that's middle school and high school stuff that's college degree stuff when you look to Jesus and you see the complete finished work of Jesus Woo! it's the blood covenant it's better than the Abraham covenant it's better than the Mosaic covenant, it's the Jesus covenant. He promised and he put a blood oath on it. Jesus says, I'll walk the line by myself. And he walked the Via Dolorosa while his blood was spilling. You don't have to walk that line because he walked it. And even when you fail, you got a promise and a guarantee in Jesus. That's why toward the end of that, he explains it in chapter 6. Toward the end of that, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, one of my favorite verses. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. It's a hope that it enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Meaning, Jesus then is our hope. 
It's not earthly priests. It's not synagogues and sacrifice. It's the ultimate sacrifice. And he's entered the veil. Oh, priests, they couldn't even go behind the veil. In the Old Testament, there was a temple. And only the high priest could go behind the veil where God's presence literally was. And it was the high priest that could go in there only once a year. He says, but this priest, he's gone into the holies of holies in heaven. And he's a forerunner. The forerunner there in the Greek, it literally means he goes first to bring us all after. And so today, you and I, we have an anchor for the soul, a forerunner who's gone before us. So when this world starts to beat on your soul and you get tired and weary and doubtful, look to heaven where the anchor's pulling you. I got a place, I got the better, I got the more in Jesus. So I don't care, I don't care what may happen. My heart and my flesh may fail me, but he's my portion forever. So I got an anchor that's not pulling me down. I got an anchor that's pulling me out. And he keeps me. Jesus, he's our representative. Jesus, he is our guarantee. And I'll finish with this. Jesus, he's our perfecter. Hebrews chapter 7. He's going to go on to explain Melchizedek. He mentions him one more time. If we can go back to chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, the last verse, 19 and 20. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. We have the sure and steadfast hope, anchor of the soul, hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Verse 20 behind the curtain okay literally what he says there is where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek Melchizedek the third time he mentions him. now he can explain it because now we know the promise and the oath that he's done in Jesus are you following me church I want you to listen pay attention we're about to finish we've got five more minutes and we'll finish I don't know if we put up verse 20 if we can Norman and team can we put it up I really want the church to see this this is absolutely beautiful Hebrews chapter 16 Verses 19 and 20. We have the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the place behind the curtain. If we can put on the next verse. As a forerunner in the order of Melchizedek. If we can, throw it up there. Let me know if it goes up. Okay, literally what he's saying is, okay, we have a sure and steadfast hope. This anchor that goes behind the veil. And this anchor goes in the order of Melchizedek. It's the third time he mentions him. And he's about to go into explaining who Melchizedek is. Now, you and I, we're probably reading this, and we're like, who is Mel? Mel, Mel, Mel. We've talked about him three times now, and we have no idea who he is. But remember, he's talking to a Jewish audience. They know that. There we go. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Thank you so much. You pointed at the screen. Having become a high priest forever after the order of... Third time he mentions it. Who is this Melchizedek? And why does he have a weird name? I don't know. <laughs> if you and I were Jewish and we grew up in an Orthodox Jew home, you would have to memorize the Torah. And by the age of seven, you would have the first five books almost memorized. Melchizedek is all the way in Genesis, and he only appears in three verses. If you're a Jewish person, though, you know Melchizedek because he was a different kind of priest. He didn't follow the family tree of Levi, as we explained earlier. But he was his own line. And he says, Jesus, he's a priest after Melchizedek. Whoa. What happened? Well, Abraham, when God promised to give him a promised land, he literally takes him to this promised land, him and his family. Amongst his family is his nephew, Lot. You got to go back to Genesis chapter 12 and 13 to read this. Him and Lot go to this land. They grow too big. They can't live in the same land. So they take separate lands. And he goes, you go over there. I'll live over here. Lot goes to live in what later on becomes Sodom and Gomorrah. It was infiltrated with evil kings. When Lot goes to live there, are you following me, church? When Lot goes to live there, four kings gang up on him. And literally almost beat him to death and take him captive. Abraham hears about this. And he's a good uncle. He's like, I got to go rescue my, my nephew Lot. He goes over there and he literally beats down four kings. How did he do it? God was with him. And he literally beats four kings. Genesis chapter 12 and 13. After he beats four kings down, not only does he beat them, he robs them and steals all their goods. <laughs> Abraham was bad. Genesis chapter 13. Lot, are you good? All right, I had to come and rescue you. Now I'm going to go back home and let me take some of these spoils from these kings who were evil. And he literally probably takes their gold, their silver, their bread, and all their stuff. And he's carrying it home, right? Abraham's on his way home. <laughs> Father Abraham had man. He's thinking about himself. He goes home. On the way home, on the way home, 
this guy named Melchizedek meets him. This is Genesis chapter 13. Abraham sees him and recognizes this man is different. Who is this guy? He's a king and he's come to meet Abraham. It says he's the king of Salem. Salem means peace. This guy Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 13 is the king of peace. Salem is also Jerusalem. He's the king of Jerusalem. He's the king of peace. And Genesis 13 says he's the king of righteousness. Abraham sees him and Abraham's shocked. And the Bible says that Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And what is Melchizedek carrying? He's carrying bread and wine. This is profound what's happening in Genesis chapter 13 because it could be, it could very well be that this is Jesus and the first time we see him in physical form. Or he is in the likeness of Christ like Hebrews chapter 7 says. But he's carrying bread and wine signifying body and blood. He's the king of peace and the king of righteousness and he blesses Abraham. So what does Abraham do? We'll finish with this. The band is up here. It's getting awkward. I'm about to finish. <laughs> Abraham worships Melchizedek and he tithes to him. Out of everything he just took from war, he gives him a 10%. Why do we tithe? Because it's a form of worship to Jesus. So Abraham tithes. He gives him a 10%. Well, I just, I just, I just robbed four kings. They, they ganged up on my nephew. I grabbed all this stuff. Here's 10%, and I want to honor you because you've been so good and you blessed me. So he gives him 10%. Now, the Hebrew writer in chapter 7 is going to explain. Abraham, the lesser was blessed by the greater to Jewish readers they already get his drift he's saying Melchizedek was greater and better than Abraham they're Jewish Abraham was their hero he's our father and he's saying Melchizedek was better Melchizedek was a king and a priest and Abraham worshiped paid homage and paid tithes to him Woo! and he's saying that Melchizedek comes in the likeness in the form of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is better than Abraham. You follow your father Abraham? Well, he had one before him. I am Jesus, the great I am. He's way better than Abraham. And he takes it one step further. You need to understand, this is the mature things of Christ. This is not Lechita, this is the mature things of Christ. He says, Abraham, in his loins, meaning in his DNA, in his chromosomes, basically, in him came Levi. Levi was where all the priests would come out of. Remember the family tree of Levi? You could only be a priest if you were a Levite that came out of Levi, the son of Abraham. Since Levi was physically, literally still in Abraham, he's saying not only did Abraham pay homage and pay tithes and worship, so did Levi. He was nothing but a chromosome in Abraham, but he worshiped Jesus. And guess what? So did every priest that come from his family line. In Abraham, they all paid homage to Jesus. So basically what he's saying is Jesus is better than Abraham. Jesus is better than Levi. Jesus is better than all the Levites. Jesus is better than all your priests that ever existed. He's the better priest. He's the eternal priest in the order of Melchizedek because he has no beginning and he has no end. He's a great, powerful priest. And then he says... And this priest can make you perfect. Whoa. You got to understand, this is high school, college type stuff. It's algebra two, right? He's saying, oh, an earthly priest could only make you right temporarily. You would go to a priest, you would bring a goat and a bull, and you'll say, I've sinned. And they'll grab the bull or the goat or the sheep. They'll sacrifice it. But as soon as that sacrifice was done, you kept on being a sinner because they were a sinner and because the blood of the animal wasn't perfect. So every single year, just like an iPhone that's full of storage, you'll have to grab another one because this was temporary. And temporary solutions create permanent problems. And so here I go with another goat. Here I go with another sheep. And all my animals are scared every time I grab one because I got to sacrifice them all. Well, you got a permanent problem. The permanent problem is that you're a sinner. And all of us are sinners. And the blood of bulls and goats can only cover limited. But look what he says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost. Woo! Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And he goes on to say, your priest, they died. Because, newsflash, I don't know if you know or not, 
10 out of 10 humans will die. And so your priests, they were humans. And guess what? They would die. And you would come looking for your priest and you're like, where, where, where's the priest that paid for my sins last time? Oh, he's dead. He's gone. He's gone. He, he, all this dirt. He's dead. Uh, we got a new priest. Pray to that one. You'll come to that priest for several numbers of years and then you'll realize he'll die too. And they always had to be replaced. He's saying, but our priest, oh, he died, but then resurrected and he lives forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. He's an eternal priest. And what man could do temporarily, all Jesus could do forever. And what the blood of bulls and goats could only cover for a limited time. We got the better and the more. We got Jesus. And he can make you perfect once and for all. You don't have to keep on sacrificing because Jesus, he paid it once and all for me forever and ever. Amen. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. Come on, church. Why don't you get on your hands, on your feet. Let's worship him. Come on. Oh, he's the high and better priest. And because of Jesus, we have imputed righteousness. That means he makes us right forever. As long as we keep on confessing, holding fast to the confession, Jesus, he's Lord. He's better than angels, prophets, better than Moses and Joshua, better than Abraham and Levi, better than all the earthly priests. He's the ultimate one that all of those were pointing to. Jesus, you are our better priest. You represent us, you promise and guarantee for us, and you perfect us while you're making intercession for us daily. Come on, church, today we need to get the revelation of what this is saying. Jesus, he's the ultimate one. Are we going to be like Abraham and go back and try to figure out things by our own means and our own ways? Or can we be like him that after he stumbled, he kept on persevering in the faith? Today, you get up and you keep persevering. You keep looking at Jesus. Earthly priests, earthly men and women will fail you, but there's one priest that will never fail. And he lives to make intercession for me and you every single day. Thank you, Jesus. And you can approach this priest with confidence. He's alive. He lives forever and ever and ever. And ever and ever. Amen. He tasted death and he shook it off like it was nothing. And he's sitting at the right hand of the Father saying, it is finished. Job complete. I'm the great high priest. The laws, the prophets, the angels, they were pointing to Jesus. Today, you have the finished work of Jesus. What the prophets longed for, we have. What the law pointed to, we have. What the law could do in part, Jesus came to make in full. Thank you, Jesus. Father, my prayer is that our church would understand the perfect work of Jesus. The complete work of Jesus. It is so beautiful. It is profound, it's significant, it's crucial, and it gives us a sure hope that we don't rely on inferior things, on lesser things, but we have the ultimate better thing in Jesus. Oh, uh, he's an anchor for the soul. He's an anchor for my soul. Thank you, Jesus. The winds may try to knock you down. The waves may crash upon your soul, but you got an anchor. You got an anchor. Don't you leave this place with your head down. Today you pick up your head because your anchor is pulling you toward heaven. There's an eternal hope that you can rely on. His name is Jesus. I got an anchor for my soul. With every eye closed, with every head bowed, we're leaving this place in just a moment. If you're here today and you're saying, Alex, I don't know this Jesus. I feel far from God. Maybe somebody invited you for the first time, second time. Maybe you have no idea what you just came and you were a part of and you're saying, I don't know, but I would love a relationship with God, but I feel far distant from God. Maybe today you have shame and sin in your life and you're saying there's no way that God can want somebody like me. Yes, he does. He loves you more than you could imagine. And yes, he can't be with sin, but that's why he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus walked the bloodline. Jesus. His body was ripped in half. He grabbed your sins and my sins. 
He went up on a cross and he paid the price for sin. The Bible says that the wages or the price of sin are death, but the gift of God are eternal life. In other words, sin will ultimately kill you, but God always comes to give you life and life to the fullest. Maybe today you're in here and you're like, sin has been killing me. And I've done stuff nobody knows about, but I need a brand new beginning. I need a brand new start. With every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're in here today and you're saying, Alex, I need forgiveness. Alex, I need a brand new beginning. I want to put my faith and my trust in Jesus. I want to confess that he's Lord. I want a relationship with God. Today I need forgiveness. With every eye closed, with every head bowed, if that's you, at the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to see who I'm praying for. When I count to three, raise your hand. Hold it up high enough, long enough for me to see it. And then you can put it right back down. Every eye closed, every head bowed. If that's you, if you're saying, Alex, I need Jesus. At the count of three, raise it up. One, two, three. Raise your hand as high as you can. As high as you can. As high as you can. I see you. 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 God bless you. God bless you. All the way back there, I see you as well. Awesome. God bless you. You can put your hands back down. We're going to say a prayer together. Come on, it's one big family. I want you to say this prayer out loud. I believe that the Spirit of God is in here and He's going to make you new today. Come on, all of us in one big voice, it's one big family. Say, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. I admit that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. Come on, say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God, that you died for my sins. And on the third day, you resurrected. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. From today on, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, and I'm healed. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on. Thank you so much, Lord. Oh, come on. So many people made a decision to follow Jesus. Hey, we're leaving right now. Hopefully it's not raining, but before we do, if you raise your hand, and hands went up all over the auditorium, if you raise your hand and you start a relationship with God, we got a free gift for you. I want you to go by the tent out there. It's called the Connect Tent. You're going to see people with these gifts. They're waving them. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, there's a free Bible in here just for you. There's also a free coffee mug. There's a free coffee voucher for Circle Cafe. Go get a free coffee on us. There's a notebook. There's a bunch of stuff in there. We want to hook you up. We love you. We're thankful for your life, and we believe that the best is yet to come on. Come on. Give them a big hand. The best is yet to come for you. Thank you. Come on, anybody thankful for the better priest, Jesus? We can call on him today. Let's leave out of here celebrating all that God has done. Why don't you hug the person next to you and tell them we have the better priest. With hands raised, Father, we love you. We thank you. Go before us this week, behind us, surround us with your grace and your love. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen.